What's up, Dub Nation? This is the We Believe Golden State Warriors basketball podcast of Sports Ethos presentation. Sam Orlick here. Warriors keeping the road winning streak alive. Two thrilling victories over the Kings and Oklahoma City Thunder. Here to help me break it all down is none other than special guest James Homer. Hey, man, what's going on? Uh, not much. Just, uh, spent, uh, spent the morning watching some of the, uh, game highlights back last night. It's pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty good one to be perfectly honest. So. Yeah. What a, what a start to the season for the Warriors. I mean, I think that there was a lot of optimism and, and kind of promise with some of the roster changes, obviously just huge. I mean, in some respects, you still have this, this core intact of Steph Clay, Wiggins, Draymond, Looney, Kaminga, Moody, and bringing back GP2, but just, you know, bringing in Dunleavy, the two new draft picks, trading off all the young rookies, all the, all the good hype in camp and, and training camp and the preseason. And then here we go, undefeated on the road, five and one, currently tied in first place in Western Conference standings with Denver two back-to-back uh, game-winning shots between Clay Thompson and Steph Curry, just so much, so much uh, success and, and execution and, and just a lot to be excited about in the early going of the season. Yeah, definitely. I mean, off the, um, you know, every time I talk to people about this, it, it feels like last season, this is a stretch where the Warriors go, two and three, three and two, if they're lucky, just because of late game execution problems that they haven't really had over the last few, especially not the last two games where, you know, they can get those kinds of last minute plays to get their best players a a shot to win the game. I mean, those are, those are plays that they probably wouldn't have been able to set up just a year ago by virtue of a game losing turnover or a, a bad pass that just went off of somebody's hands that wasn't ready for it like just last year so i think that the 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 point about execution is huge i mean the, that's been the name of the game for them so far and it's a huge reason why they've now rattled off you know five straight wins four of them being on the road too yeah yeah, sorry, I misspoke earlier. Uh, four, four on the road. We got squeezed in that that home game against the Kings that just felt like a road game. <laughs> <laughs> kind of lumped it together. Yeah, five-game win streak, 4-0 on the road, 1-1 one one at home. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, and I hate to I hate to kind of compare so much to last season because obviously this, this is a different team than last season. This is much more uh, the type of Warriors team that we've come to – to expect from um, from kind of the championship years. And uh, Steve Kerr's kind of hammering this home in, in recent press conferences, stop comparing to last year, stop comparing to last year. But um, going back to your point, I mean, I don't even think two and three. I, I think maybe lucky if they win one of those games because it's not just the late game execution. It's also, you know, Wiggins isn't playing at his best. We'll get into the war of that. Draymond Green is still ramping up. Kavon Looney hasn't even really had a great start to the season. And so 
I don't even think uh, most, many of these road games would have even been close for the late game execution to even come into question. I mean, outside of Steph Curry's brilliance, that's probably the only consistent that you could have counted on um, last season. So yeah, just, just to kind of take that point a little bit further, maybe one in four, if they're lucky. I mean, I feel like even two and three is, is generous um, especially since two of those games were trap games, right? I mean, last last night against the Thunder, you were like, oh, they're missing SGA. And then just basically everyone wearing a Thunder's jersey goes off. And then the game before that, no Fox, no De'Aaron Fox for the Kings. Same thing. It was a very tight-nosed, uh, it was a very, very competitive game. Um, a lot of Kings stepping up. They played good defense against us. So, um yeah, just just really great to see everything that they're doing and the contributions up and down the roster. It's not Steph Curry needing to score 40 points a game and play 35 minutes. I mean, his minutes have been in check. Uh, he played under 32 minutes last night. Yeah, I think that's been a that's been a huge key as well as been, you know, Steph being able to play limited minutes. I mean, for the season, he's what well, he's averaging the most points per minute per there in the entire league. I think it's like 31 just under 31 points per game and just under 32 minutes per game I mean, that's the kind of that's the kind of efficiency that we've kind of if you're a Warriors fan you're relieved to see again because that was the kind of efficiency that he was putting out when he was the league MVP and the only unanimous one in league history so I think that that's kind of a testament that Steve Kerr now feels comfortable once again playing Steph only 32 minutes a night um, and it gives him a lot of margin for error in case, you know, something goes wrong and then they need him in for more of the game. A lot of that obviously can be attributed to the new bench mob leader, Chris Paul. But I think that just up and down the roster, like you said, there's just been so many, so many more contributions from, from really everybody. I think that having GP2 to start the season fully healthy has been huge as well. I mean, he's been... He's been phenomenal. The, the level of defense that he's brought to to the team, even when Draymond Green's not on the floor, and you, know, you can kind of get a sense of that just because of Draymond not playing the most minutes right now. He's still ramping up, like you said, because he has no preseason. I think that the amount of havoc that Peyton's caused on the defensive end has just been you know, it's been phenomenal. And I think that that's something that the Warriors really missed last year. And it's also a huge factor him. And, you know, I'd like to give some, some good credit to Moses Moody and, you know, Jonathan Kaminga as well, who really stepped up and that whole bench unit has just been, you know, they've been able to keep, keep the defense really sharp. And I think that was probably one of the biggest weaknesses that we've seen in the past is that, you know, maybe the, the second unit's defense is not quite up to par, but I think with uh with that kind of unit, especially with Chris Ball quarterbacking it and Gary Payton too, kind of just being able to be everywhere and guard basically every position, um, it's just been it's been huge contributions from everybody, and I think that's uh you know the addition of Chris Paul helps, but I think that that's really helped Kerr remain comfortable with giving Steph some more minutes limits. Yeah, a lot of stuff to to kind of break down that you just said there first, first thing that caught my mind was, was the point about Steph Curry efficiency in, in, redu in less minutes. I was going to say reduced minutes. Maybe you're still playing starter minutes, still playing, you know, 31, 31 plus a game. The craziest thing about um, Steph Curry that, that who's had this crazy start to the season 
um, this this efficiency, the game winner, um, the way in which he's, he's just scoring at ease and executing. Steph Curry's in the bottom half on the Warriors in uh, total plus minus um, thus far. You know, he, he's at um, net plus 11 on the season, but uh, which, you know, which which is isn't always an indicator of of um, impact, obviously. But then in other situations, you know, you just mentioned Chris Paul, Gary Payton and Moses Moody. Those three guys are top three. Chris Paul's plus 57 on the season. GP two's plus 56. Moses Moody's plus 33 in the entire bench unit. Everyone in that bench in that second unit is above plus 20. So when you add in Darius Saric and Kaminga, they're uh, 20 plus 27 and plus 23 respectively. So that's just absurd that you've got the, you know, the same starting five that was, you know, one of the best units in basketball last season. And then now that you've added Chris Paul and, and, a healthy GP two and Darius Saric, and you've got this actual real second unit and the second unit is flourishing. Even when Wiggins is struggling, even if Clay's not hitting his shots, um, that you've got this second unit that is either extending leads or cutting into deficits. So when Curry does re-enter the game, you know, we've got, we've got a, a great shot to either push out the lead or, um, help get you know get back into it in crunch time yeah I mean I, I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of comments that are like the Warriors bench unit could be a could be a, a playoff locked in seed like a six or a five seed in the east and I fully I fully agree with that to be perfectly honest they've been they've been incredible I mean all all five of those guys have just been you know it's it's a kind of strength from the bench that you know, you saw in 2015, 2016, not so much in 2022, but, you know, you still got contributions from guys in the Kevin Durant years, too. I mean, they had Andre Iguodala, Sean Livingston, uh, you know, JaVale McGee was making contributions, and that's the kind of, like, like, it's just players that you can sort of bring in and out that were really bought in by the Warriors culture, and I think that having those guys as people who – the Warriors themselves really brought into the league, whether it's GP2 getting his his real shot at minutes when, you know, he was playing with, through the Warriors training camp a couple of years ago, uh, Kaminga and Moody getting drafted. And, you know, a lot of people wrote off Chris Paul as well. And I think that that's just kind of been a... I think th- this group is even stronger to a degree than some of those bench units from from past championship seasons um, where those guys have really been a part of the, the culture for a few years now. And they're just, you know, they're just taking advantage of it and have put together some pretty incredible start to the season. So it, it, it's hard to imagine what it would look like in, you know, game 41 when they have so much more time to play together. I mean, this unit already looks super cohesive. So for them to be even more cohesive as the season goes on, I I mean, the rest of the league has really got to start watching out because that could be, that could get dangerous real quick for them. Yeah. I mean, Chris Paul's, one for 21 on threes for the season. Uh, you know, Anthony Slater asked him about it after the game and is like, what's up with your shoot with your shot? And it's like, yeah, shot, shots aren't going in. Um, but the good thing is this isn't normal for me. So the fact that again, t- you know, just to what you said, what you said about how 
effective in the early going this bench unit has been that arguably could be a locked in starting unit for a playoff team, obviously small sample size, six games in, but when you consider that, you know, this, this is a group that is brand new playing together um, and, and they're having this much success and your, you know, your future hall of famer, Chris Paul, isn't even shooting well from the field or from three is literally just, having this veteran presence, organizing the Warriors, getting them into the sets, setting up guys, not turning the ball over. And also, you know, he's not a scrub on defense either. Sure. You know, when, when he, if he gets switched on to somebody that's three, four inches taller, he's, he's probably not going to be able to do much to stop them, but he's coming up with a bunch of steals. Um, he's second in total steals on the Warriors behind uh, GP2. Just a lot of timely pay, uh, a lot of timely plays. He picked, he's picked up offensive fouls on guys. You can just see how his intelligence and IQ um, just really enables him to have so much success on both ends of the floor. Even if he's, you know, late late into his 30s, definitely not in his prime. You know, definitely a step slower. Not necessarily, you know, his shot isn't necessarily dropping. And yet he's still drawing all this attention, setting up guys. He's, you know, a vocal leader for the group. He's taking pressure off of Curry by, you know, being one of the primary ball handlers, even when Curry, you know, Curry and him are both on the floor. So it's just been absolutely incredible to see the impact and turnaround he's had on the second unit and just kind of revitalizing the team and, and getting, everyone you know kind of buying in not that there's question about buying into this team but you just feel like there's just different vibes and energies about this group and um finding ways to win right i mean the warriors had 13 turnovers in the first half against the thunder um they limited that to two in the second half you know thunder thunder shot 60 percent from the field but only had one less or sorry warriors only had one less made field goal um, shooting, you know, warrior shot 53% themselves. They had, uh, six more rebounds than the thunder 13 of them were offensive. Four of those for, uh, were from Andrew Wiggins, just a lot of different things that you need to do in order to win on the road. Even when things aren't going your way, like Lou Dort only missing like one field goal and giddy, like it just felt like no SGA, no problem. The Thunder just had contributions from like five or six different guys from their team. Everybody stepping up, playing out of their mind. And yet the fact that we were able to beat them, it's just, you know, I'm still kind of just blown away by that. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely kind of like you were saying earlier, those those were pretty big trap games. And a lot of those, those are games that the Warriors might've lost by 20 last, last season and obviously very different team, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it always feels like <laughs> when you watch the Warriors, there's going to be at least one or two guys uh, whenever a, a main starter is out. Like if you're if a, the best player was out in the last two games and they got the other teams have gotten incredible contributions from just guys up and down their roster who you know, these are these are honestly like two very good teams. Both the Thunder and the Kings are going to be in likely contention, even though the West is incredibly crowded this year. They're going to have a shot at getting a sixth seed or better, probably. So I think that that's kind of a that's kind of something to think about as well is just how good these teams are and how good teams really do step up when their best player doesn't play. So that kind of you know, begs the question of how the Warriors might look if Steph Curry has to 
take time off for whatever reason. Um, you know, the confidence that they would be able to do something like the Thunder did to them last night, uh, I would say it's there. I mean, that's that's kind of a, a big sticking point with this team as well as just how um, how they can step up in, in sort of moments like that. But, yeah, I mean, like you were saying, Chris Paul, his shot's not falling. He's averaging nine assists per game. And he's doing that, turning the ball over once per game. I, I'm not sure how sustainable that is for Chris Paul at this point. It's it's hard to argue that it's not, but um, the shooting will definitely come back. You know, you can expect him to maybe not be putting up a 9.0 assist to turnover ratio, but him kind of being able to control that second unit, take the pressure off of the other primary ball handlers on the team that's going to be huge. Um, that's going to be huge kind of going forward. So it's just a question of sustainability as well. And what other contributions they can get from guys who aren't even playing minutes right now, because there's still a couple on the roster who have shown that they can really contribute. And, um, you know, we could be looking at a team that could go 11 players into the rotation and you could still be confident about them coming away with a win. Yeah, I think um, I think Chris Paul nine assists per game seems pretty reasonable for the rest of the season, at least in the capacity that he's being utilized right now, which is basically running the second unit, but then also closing out um, closing out halves. So it it just feels like with the way in which Warriors are executing, you've got a lot of different options for Chris Paul, the pick and pop with Dario Saric. You've got Jonathan Kaminga as a cutter who's who's only kind of scratching the surface as far as figuring out ways to be effective and score. And then, uh, you know, Moses Moody has been absolutely incredible shooting from deep. Clay Thompson sometimes thrown in there in the, sec- in the second unit as well at times. Um, it just feels like, you know, the, the, the ball is in Chris Paul's hands a lot more to set up guys. And there's a lot of play finishers on this team. Um, so to me, at least, I think, I think those assists definitely seem sustainable. And I think the only question for me is, is watching his shot fall. And also I feel like there are times where he gets the ball in the corner and he's typically looking to dish it out to like maybe a clay thompson or moses moody that's next to him on the wing i'd like to see him try and shoot those corner threes on kickouts sometimes and i think as his shot starts to drop a little bit more and he feels like that's settled in i think he'll feel better about doing that um that's something i'll be i'll be kind of tracking those those elbow and short corner jumpers are just insane though i mean he he's missed a bunch of them but he's also hit some pretty timely ones um that he just that you know that that seems really comfortable but you know there will be times where he'll need to score so i think that will just be um something to track as the season goes on yeah definitely i mean even even given the the kind of shooting lows that he has right now i mean he's still 50 percent from the field when it comes to two-point shots and i mean if you watch a lot of those shots the degree of difficulty that he takes on a lot of those those mid-range jumpers is absurd i mean yeah there's a <laughs> there's not many people who could who could do that in the league, let alone do that at six feet tall flat. So, so who are you? Who are you saying is kind of the eleventh guy that might be deserving of more minutes, but isn't isn't seeing the court? Uh, so my my take on that would be it's been Trace Jackson Davis. I mean, in in limited minutes, I mean he's played three games so far this season. He's had about 
eight minutes of play per game. And, you know, he had some quality minutes, especially against New Orleans. Uh, he played some pretty solid defense on Zion Williamson, which for a rookie is pretty hard to do, especially when, you know, TJD is not necessarily seven feet tall, but he's he's playing, you know, he's playing like a true center. He's very athletic. He's strong. He's averaging about 2.3 offensive rebounds a game in only eight minutes. And given, you know, small sample size and all that, he just looks polished. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of nuances to defense in the NBA that you have to adjust to. But starting with the base that TJD kind of has already, he definitely looks like he's an NBA level player. And I think that that kind of speaks to the strength of getting multiple years in in college and how that kind of thrives, especially in the Steve Kerr system. So, I mean, he's, he's kept the fouls down relatively. I mean, he's just, he's been kind of, kind of everywhere he needed to be. And he's just been a, he's been a strong contributor. I think that having him behind uh, kind of in that center rotation where Sarge and Looney are sort of in the mix there, but if Looney's not having a great game, you know, Sarge isn't always like a he, – he doesn't really play defense like a true five, even though he's a pretty good defender. He's he's better than I thought he would be for sure. Uh, I think that having somebody who's a little more used to the center position, whether or not he's seven feet tall, um, TJD's kind of earned it. I think that he should be in the rotation more. I think that uh, Draymond Green especially had a, a comment about this last night about how you, just even having the young guys on the bench like – not just uh, Jackson Davis, but also Brandon Pajemski and Wester Canones. Having those guys just on the bench and bringing the energy, um, that's kind of an important an important intangible as well. So, I mean, I think that you could get Pajemski some pretty good minutes as well. It seems like Kerr trusts him. Uh, you know, another guy who spent multiple years playing college basketball um, and not as like a – you know, just a, a one and done that's, you know, going out there to raise their draft stock. I mean, he was he was making some solid contributions to winning basketball when he was at Santa Clara. And I think that uh, another thing that TJD kind of brings that the Warriors don't really have is, you know, post offense that is not just, you know, a, a good passing hub or somebody that can get into the lane and make make the right decision. But um somebody who can play offense on the block as well. I think that you get that a little bit from Sarge and you get that a little bit from Looney. I think that that was one of the biggest things that scouts kind of noticed about TJD coming into the league. So I think that he gives the Warriors just another look on offense and that his screen setting, giving him some time to sort of learn more nuances by like a trial by fire, essentially, especially this early in the season when, the Warriors center rotation has traditionally thinned out as the season's gone on, whether due to injuries, just general wear and tear. He gives them a different look than they're they're kind of they've kind of been used to before. He's he's a, a bit of a different kind of player, uh, a passing center that they haven't really had similar skills. He's, he reminds me a lot of like Andrew Bogut in a lot of ways. So I think that him getting a shot to contribute in a in a more major way. I mean, he looks ready. And I think that him, you know, as much as it would be great for him to to spend a little bit of time in Santa Cruz, probably, I think that it's uh, it would be very beneficial for the Warriors to have him 
sort of at their with the main team as much as as much as they can. Okay. Yeah. And I had I had a pegged a question on that to get into later. So I'm glad you brought that up. So you feel like that pods and, and TJD probably deserve more or probably would be better suited to be with the Warriors traveling on road trips, even if they're not necessarily getting into games every night um, and just be around the team and be available for if those situations come up, whether that, whether that's because there's a blowout or, you know, Steph and Chris Paul or, or even GP2 get into foul trouble. Um, you feel like probably better to have those guys with the team as, as Draymond kind of suggested that we need, we need those guys on the bench for their energy, picking us up versus um, getting more reps in Santa Cruz and kind of bouncing back and forth. If uh, Kerr feels like, Hey, you know, we're probably not going to use these guys over the next few games. Let's, let's get them, you know, whatever, 25 plus minutes in Santa Cruz so that they stay ready, stay in shape, um, keep their, you know, keep their reps up. You're leaning more towards having them with the team. Well, I think especially when it when it comes to the in-season tournament games, I mean, for all intents and purposes, I mean, that looked like a playoff game last night. And I, think that, <laughs> I think that a lot of that kind of experience would that's like a it's a good just being in the in the building for those games and kind of getting to see what the even if it's not quite, you know, Sacramento in the Golden One Center last year, I think getting a kind of semblance of what. A, a level of playoff, a degree of playoff basketball looks like, even if it's a lesser degree of it at the NBA level is, then I think that, um, you know, getting that experience and just kind of being with the team for those moments, kind of seeing how it all works, how, you know, their coach thinks, how the other players are kind of treating it. I think being up for those games, especially is, is valuable. And I do think like time in Santa Cruz would obviously serve them well. I also think that, it would be, <clears throat> you know, they're the kind of players that you could give minutes to in like a like a four minute stretch in the second quarter when, you know, there, there's not necessarily a lot of um, or they they can't necessarily affect the outcome of a game if they have some some rookie moments. So I think that getting as much as good as it would be to get you know their their reps in Santa Cruz, and I definitely think that they should spend some games there. I think. Some games like the in-season tournament against, you know, bigger opponents like your your even like divisional opponents. And we don't talk a lot about like the divisions within the NBA, but you know, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Kings, especially, the Suns, like all of those teams are teams that they should be kind of around for just to see the environment and the level of play that the Warriors are going to need to be at and the level of play that they're going to kind of need to adjust to in order to be contributors for a team that is gunning for another championship. Yeah, I see that. Some valid points there. I feel like you could also kind of make the argument for for TJD that, you know, as a four-year college player, he's got a lot of experience playing in obviously college NBA is a little bit different, but playing in these types of um, highly competitive, you know, loud crowd, a lot of intensity. And also I think it is a little bit challenging trying to squeeze him into the lineup because I feel like Kerr is 
really bent on, uh, kind of really focused on that C that uh, CP3 um, and uh, Sarich pairing in the second unit. And then now that we've got Draymond kind of ramping up, like we saw down the stretch against the Thunder, it wasn't Sarich or Looney playing center, but it was Draymond. The Warriors went small. So you kind of have that pecking order of, of Looney Sarich and then, and then Draymond potentially to close against certain opponents. So I totally agree with your point that uh, Trace Jackson Davis brings this X factor element and this different skill set than anyone else on the, on the roster. He's probably the most spry and, and likely to be able to like protect the rim. Um, and, and as far as like blocking shots and um, he's got that above the rim game. He, he's obviously shown some incredible vision and willingness to pass the ball as well as be kind of a low, a low post presence. So I totally agree with that. I would like to see him get some reps. But then when you talk about how effective our second unit has been and, and, you still, and you're still trying to get Draymond Green reps, um, and it's not even like Kavon Looney's. I don't even think Kavon Looney's played 30 minutes a game this season. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see where that, how that ends up working out but it would be great to have more opportunities for him to play but if not i think allowing him and pods to build some chemistry together and play in santa cruz is valuable um, as well as it is to participate and be on the bench and be a part of the team in some of these more hostile or um, intense environments like in tournament games or like you said against the Lakers or Kings just so they get that experience so I kind of see it from both sides I feel like um, if it's not broke don't fix it as far as kind of immediate adjustments but that's just going to be the benefit that's just going to be up to Steve Kerr to figure out I mean it's it's the uh, the blessing of having a deep roster that you've got like a legit 12 guys that deserve that deserve opportunities and I think that in the early going, I think it's pretty clear that most Warriors Twitter would prefer to see pods on the floor than Corey Joseph. So um, you've got kind of both of those guys, pods and, and TJD, um, really deserving of more uh, more chances when when um, you know when when Kerr feels like it, it's the right time. Yeah, definitely, definitely agree with uh, a lot of that. I think you you did bring a good point up about uh, the chemistry between Pods and TJD as well. I think that that's that'd be kind of important for them to build on, especially just coming in together as rookies. So, and also, I'd like to see Pods hit some shots. Like, I mean, we drafted yes. him as kind of a shooter, and it's great to see him be so um, find ways to contribute, even when his shot hasn't fallen. And I feel like even going back to summer league, he just, he hasn't had, I think he like his first game, he had some highlight real moments of like a fast break play where he did like a pump fake and it was like a flyby and he did like a reload three that looked really nice, but his shot has not looked good, but he's found so many ways to contribute, whether it's just being like a hard nosed kind of player, almost kind of like a Dante DiVincenzo esque where he's going after rebounds and he's making the right plays and he's attacking the rim. And he, you know, he always seems to get his foot into the paint and then kick it out. Um, but just getting him some reps where he's like hitting three, three or four threes a game in Santa Cruz, and he can bring that confidence back to the Warriors and then get into a game and feel like, yeah, I've been hitting shots. I'm, I'm feeling good about my shot again. Um, obviously the shot's going to come. I'm not worried about it, but sometimes that can be an easy way to help um, integrate you. Then if you know, you go 10 games and you haven't played and you're just, you're just playing in practice and scrimmaging. 
um, you know, it's it's not quite the same as being in a real game, even if you're playing uh, against G League level talent instead of NBA level talent. Yeah, I think that's a that's another good point as well. I mean, because he was a what forty four, forty five percent from three in college. It was, I mean, he was very much drafted for you know his shooting ability on top of kind of his his ability to sort of do everything on the floor. So I think that that um, definitely getting some some confidence in his shot back is going to be huge for him, and it will uh, it'll definitely, like you said, it'll sort of fix itself over time. Um, he would definitely uh, be the beneficiary of a lot of a lot of minutes in in kind of Santa Cruz. I think Lester Canona as well as well. Uh, I don't know how often the Warriors plan to utilize him. Um, and it feels like he's kind of one of those one of those players that is going to to shine in in a game where in a trap game where the Warriors are the team that's missing their guys. Um, you know, he could have a is just one of those players that seems like he could have himself a knife a night that way. And, um, you know, in, in a team that's not really lacking in terms of scoring right now, um, obviously a little bit harder to find a, to find a role for him in the rotation, but he's definitely, um, he's definitely someone to watch for uh, as well as pods as they kind of go down to Santa Cruz. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, how do you feel about Andrew Wiggins? Um, He's definitely the struggles are noticeable, and I think that um, it's not something that I would I would characteristically think of when I think of Andrew Wiggins. You know, he he was in twenty twenty two. He was a seventy percent around the rim kind of guy. Um, last year, it wasn't you know it wasn't quite that high, but he was still you know he was still getting good touches around the rim. Right now, I mean, he's just he's he's leaving a lot short. You know, his jumper's not really falling, um, and I think he's he's shooting around, yeah, fifteen percent from three right now. Uh, this is, I mean, it's a. I'm not going to call it a regression just because it's very early in the season, and I think that this is going to correct itself. But I think that he's his scoring ability is is a level it's a level higher than or several level levels higher than kind of we've seen from him right now. I think that he's found a lot of other ways to contribute. Um, his defense hasn't been excellent per se, but I mean, he's still a, you know, he's still a good defender. He's still a guy that you trust to, to take on a lot of those tougher assignments. Um, but him not being at the not him not being sort of the the best version of Andrew Wiggins that we know he can be is part of uh, another problem that I kind of I kind of noticed a lot, especially last night was uh, a, a lot of weakness in terms of the Warriors point of attack defense when it came to guarding uh, specifically Josh Giddy, but also, you know, Dort, a lot of the other guys that handled the ball for them. Um I think Wiggins is Wiggins's talent has historically masked those kinds of problems. And right now he's just not playing super well. Um, hard to kind of diagnose what the problem is other than a shot's not falling, but you know, it's not the, it's not the Wiggins we've kind of come to expect in terms of just a very solid contributor. You know, everybody was kind of expecting that he'd have this like one of these games in the first couple games of the season. I honestly thought that he might be, you know, with 
it kind of depended a lot on, you know, Clay Thompson and how his shot selection changed from last year. But I really thought that Wiggins was going to be one of the guys that could have taken a leap to even, you know, like a, a 22 points, 23 points, 10 rebounds a game kind of forward. Um, because he's still relatively, he's like right in the, the middle of his prime in terms of NBA players. So I think that his his struggles are just, they're noticeable. It's hard to tell exactly what the what the problem is. You know, we've gotten some commentary from from Steve Kerr on it. Wiggins seems to know that he knows or that he's not doing his best and that he has sort of more ways to contribute. I think when when he initially got benched at the end of uh, the first, I want to say it was the first game of the season against Phoenix where Kaminga closed instead of him. Like that was his post game comments were like, I just, I need to find other ways to contribute. Like I, I just need to like rebound more, which he has been doing. So, I mean, Wiggins is, uh, you know, he's always been a good rebounder. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's tough to tell. Yeah. So Wiggins is minus 33 on the season, which is a team worst. Corey Joseph is a minus 12 and then everyone else is at least a zero or better. Um, shooting, like you said, 15% from three, two of 13 total. Um, but in field goal attempts, he's uh, he's actually fourth. Um, he's only taken three less field goals than uh, than Clay Thompson. Um, I'm sorry, that would put him at third. So, yeah, I think I think that he, you know, he's obviously struggling, but then at the same time, he's still, you know, he's starting games, he's playing, you know, 25 to 28 minutes a night. He's yet to close a game. But then, you know, you look at a game like last night and we saw the lineup change three or four times situationally based on whether it was we need a bucket, let's get our best offensive unit in there, we need a stop, let's get our best unit in there. But when you look at some of the other games kind of throwing out the Thunder game, it's been GP2 that's been in there you know, the final two, two minutes or so. Um, they're obviously making a concerted effort to try and get Wiggins more involved offensively, like they did kind of in, in a couple of years ago where they're trying to post him up in the low block. They're looking for him. He's trying to be more aggressive. The, the mid-range looks better. The three-point shot, I think, is the most concerning that seems like he's lost a lot of confidence there. But also, um, I heard some comments from Steph Curry that like Wiggins wasn't really playing a lot of basketball over the summer. And he wasn't, he wasn't really full speed coming into training camp, still kind of nursing that injury, that ribs injury from the the playoff series against the Lakers. I I don't think it was something that was really formally, formally or uh, formally reported on, but um, I, I, again, I did hear Curry make some comments about that. And then, when I went back and looked at kind of Wiggins NBA career last season is the first season he's ever really missed or not played like more than 70 games outside of the season. He was traded to the warriors um, from, uh, from Minnesota. And so I feel like it's a mental thing for him. Like one he's, you know, he's still trying to get himself into fully conditioned game shape, which obviously is going to impact somebody that, that is, you know, his benefits and skills are, are athleticism and that's kind of his main strength. And then two, he's just trying to figure out how do I mentally and physically get into rhythm like I was, um, you know, the season before last year and the year before, before missing all those games. I mean, he was like nearly a 40% shooter from three, um, 
last year before getting hurt and, and was really coming on the year before as well, hitting like two or three threes per game that he was just reliable Wiggins from, from the, uh, um, from the wing knocking down threes. So um, I think it's even more impressive what the Warriors have done when you're, you know, one of your best players is, is clearly not, not playing at his best. Um, at least when he's on the floor, the Warriors, you know, have given up 33 point, 33 more points than they've scored um, in those 155 minutes he's played. Um, so I, the, the great news is he's not an ego guy. It's not like he's, he needs the ball more. It's not like he's sulking on the bench. Like he's probably one of the best personality wise, character wise, like one of the best warriors to be like going through this type of struggles because he's just so easygoing and, and the team's going to help support him and get him there. And, and we have seen some improvement over the last few games and, and he's aware of, Hey, I need to find other ways to get involved. Um, the four offensive rebounds against the thunder was great. was great to see. So I think he's going to get there. I, I think it's just a weird mixture of, you know, not, not being in rhythm, missing a bunch of games and, and trying to figure out how to come back from that. And, and this is a much deeper team. And, and even if Wiggins is at hundred percent, he just might be the odd one out um, closing games. And, and that's totally fine. He doesn't need to play 35 minutes a night. If you've got a capable Moses Moody, Jonathan Kaminga, GP two, like we've got options lean into the depth. And I think he's totally fine with that. I think everyone's fine, fine with that. And and you made a point earlier about Clay Thompson's shot selection. I think if Clay Thompson, who's, you know, a, a pretty efficient, um, almost 48% shooting from the field on the season was more of a volume low efficiency, you know, low forties or high thirties and, and making a lot of mistakes that we saw kind of clay doing last year and forcing it. I think, you know, we could see some tinkering there and maybe some nights it's Kaminga closing over clay or whatever, but with the way that clay's playing and, and, um, and GP two has been playing, it, it kind of makes sense based on um, the result that we're seeing on the floor that Wiggins is kind of the odd man out, but that doesn't mean that, you know, he isn't an integral part of this team because they really rely on him to create shots um, in isolation or on post-up in different ways that then they look to uh, for other guys on this roster. Yeah. Um, kind of to your point, I mean, this is the, you know, this is the the first season that Wiggins has played. That doesn't include last season or the season where he bounced between, you know, Austin, Minnesota when he was traded, he's played, uh, 70 at least 71 games in every season that wasn't the season he got traded or last year when he missed significant amount significant amounts of time so that's this is definitely a new trend for him um he's as a full in terms of full seasons with the warriors he's never shot below 38 percent from three um his shots just look a lot better since he got here and i think that that's kind of a a an offensive system thing you know where he was getting a lot more he was getting a lot of different looks in Minnesota, and then he started getting looks that he could just absolutely knock down here. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a testament to kind of the depth of the team, like you were saying, and how well other guys have been playing recently. That Wiggins has that time to ramp up, and he's very much not a very much not an ego player. You know, you you kind of hear all this stuff about oh, he's a former number one number one pick. He should be like a franchise cornerstone for a team. He's never really been 
uh, a player who's approached the game like that. He just wants to play winning basketball. And I think that he's happy kind of contributing in a role where he's not the guy. And that's a, it's a huge thing for, to have somebody like that, especially when they're such an obviously talented player. Um, yeah, he's, uh, He's absolutely going to figure it out. I mean, I have zero doubts about that. And he's far and away one of the most, has been consistently one of the most consistent players on the roster. So, you know, that that kind of adjustment that he's coming back from, you know, not playing a ton over the summer, whether that's injury related or, you know, kind of otherwise with what he was dealing with last season. A lot of that is, I think it's definitely contributing to, to kind of what we've seen from him so far. So I think that, um, yeah, as, as not great as it looks right now, I really think that he's going to be, uh, he's going to be all right. He's going to end up being definitely one of the players that we look back on this season and, and kind of see as, okay, he didn't start too hot, but he definitely contributed to whatever success the Warriors end up having. Yeah. 100%. Um, So Warriors still have two open roster spots. They they never ended up doing anything with that um, with that Rudy Gay, Rodney Magruder slot. Um, And then obviously they're leaving the 15th or like liked to have typically leaving that 15th spot open just to save some money. Um, I've seen a lot of chatter on this and I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are. Do you feel like the Warriors need um, a legit big man like a Dwight Howard esque type guy. I mean, I know we talked about Trace Jackson Davis a little bit earlier being deserving of, of some minutes in that center rotation. Do you feel like that's potentially a hole for this team, needing someone who's like equal size to like an Anthony Davis or Nikola Jokic? Or you feel like, you know, we, we've pretty much got our roster and our guys, and it's really just emergency depth, whatever you know, buyout vet might, might become available as we get closer to the trade deadline. I saw like Danny green was recently waived. He might be someone intriguing to consider. Um, what are your kind of thoughts on that? Yeah. So this is, this is always one of my, this comes up every season. It's always one of my, (laughs) so it's a hot question for the Warriors. We need Um, a big, we need a big man. Exactly. Well, I think what's, what's interesting about it is that, um, it's not even, you know, we're not even two years, I guess we are two years now, removed from a championship where the Warriors won with the tallest player, with the only player who was taller than six foot nine on the roster being James Wiseman. So I think that the Warriors have shown their, you know, like the versatility that they kind of have is is more impactful to winning in like the lineups that Kerr likes to play. He just doesn't like, he doesn't play lineups that have, you know, traditional bigs that, or like, let me rephrase that. He doesn't really play lineups where he has traditional bigs in roles to contribute. Um, He hasn't really had that since Bogut. And, you know, even then, you know, as great as Andrew Bogut was, I mean, there was a lot of, a lot of kind of limitation limitations that were placed on the lineups that didn't have him because, you know, they were, the Warriors were more, more focused on playing, you know, that kind of traditional level of basketball or just playing small ball. I think with the amount of wing versatility that the Warriors have and kind of the emphasis they put on it over the last few years, I wouldn't say that a traditional big man is necessary or would even fit within the system because ultimately it would be asking 
Steve Kerr to integrate a a player on both ends of the floor and kind of into their schemes. You know, the Warriors don't play a lot of drop even without Kevon Looney, even without or with Kevon Looney in there. I mean, we've seen a little bit more of it recently, but I I think that kind of the the ability to switch everything you know, have mobile defenders across the floor who can help and be disruptive from the weak side if they need to. I'm just not sure what a traditional big would bring to this team that they really need or that would fit with what Steve Kerr's ideal system is. I think that they gave a good look to um, uh, the guy who was playing for the Rockets, Usman Garua. I yeah. think that he would be actually a pretty good – I think he would be a pretty good fit. I think he could contribute. You know, he was one of those guys who who brought a lot of um, – who brought a lot of uh, interesting, you know, interesting looks during training camp as well as, uh, you know, quality minutes that he spent with teams prior. I think Garuba would be a good player to bring on. I don't see how, how bringing – a, a traditional center, if there's even one that's available who could play significant minutes, would really help this team unless there's one on the buyout market or yeah, unless there's one on the buyout market that they could that they could really go after. Um I think that their focus would be best served. If they're going to look for depth, uh a bigger wing would be good. Somebody who, you know, like a like a Rudy Gay, um or uh, Rodney Magruder, like somebody who could could kind of fill in for that wing depth whenever the Warriors go small. But I think that they're really a they're really a team that values versatility on in terms of their defense. And I think that for the Warriors to go after a traditional center, you know, a seven footer that doesn't really fit their scheme, and you know, I think Steve Kerr wouldn't necessarily have a hard time integrating a player like that. But I do think that it would be it would just kind of veer away from what the Warriors are used to. Now that you have Chris Paul and his kind of familiarity with playing with bigger guys, I mean, Houston, it was Clint Capella. Um, He had a great report with Steven Adams when he was in Oklahoma City. I think that gets a little bit different, but, you know, those guys are also, Capella and Adams are also starting caliber players who get significant amount of minutes and, you know, are very impactful in very specific ways. I'm just not sure how much a buyout candidate of a center would bring to the team when you could get just sort of more wings or, you know, more guards or something like that, that would be a little more efficient in Kerr's system. So I think that if you're going to use that spot, I think it should be on someone that's Usman Garuba. That would be my number one, my number one kind of pick for that spot or Rudy Gay and, I don't know. I just don't think a, a true center really helps the team as much as a lot of people seem to think it would because they've been so successful without one. Yeah. And yeah. And to take it a step further, just because you find it, just because you could potentially find a true center on a buyout, and I don't even really have a, a short list of players that come to mind, Who who's even historically proven to be capable at stopping Nikola Jokic or Anthony Davis, yeah. right? Or do we even really trust like a Dwight Howard-esque type player or Bull Bull or even like Bismarck Biombo who was just picked up by the Grizzlies? Like somebody like that, are they even historically good at stopping Jokic or 
um, or Davis that that even makes sense. Um, so yeah, and then I feel like there, you know, you, there's another argument where it's like, well, you know, you you could at least throw a big body to pick up some fouls. Well, like you just said, Usman Garuba, who's on a two way, like if you manage his games played, he's got 50 games in him for the regular season. Like if, if we play Denver and you want to throw Garuba out there to pick up three fouls, he can go do that right now. Um, we don't need to use a roster slot for that. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think that the Warriors strategically have decided that you're not going to stop Anthony Davis or Nikola Jokic with some 14th man center who's only going to get five minutes a night, maybe even if that or or very sparse situational usage. And then what you know how much does that affect steve curran asking okay you you guys play this way 99 percent of the time but also figure out how to play this other way one percent of the time with this guy that's you know in the tail end of his career and you know is is likely disgruntled with a role aka dwight howard um of, of being kind of that 14th man so yeah i'm with you um save that for some uh some uh larger wing wing players you can never you can never uh, not have enough wings in the NBA. Yeah, absolutely. I think you, you make a very good point that I I kind of also thought about a lot is, you know, there's really no point in in, in trying to not just counter an Anthony Davis or a Nikola Jokic with what you have already. I think that the Warriors did a great job of containing DeMontis Sabonis in the first round of the playoffs last year. A lot of why that series was so close was because – you know, De'Aaron Fox was having himself a an incredible series. Um, you know, he's a very tough cover. He unlocked a lot for them. But when Sabonis is kind of the, the centerpiece of the Kings offense, the Warriors were able to take him out of the game uh, almost entirely. And that's a guy who was one of the best rebounders. I think he led the NBA in rebounding last year. And Kavon Looney just bottled him up game after game. And I think that, you know, there's obviously a lot of, uh, I think there's, that's a very different, a very different challenge guarding a Jokic or an AD. But I think that the Warriors kind of have a, a blueprint in place defensively about how they could go about that. And I just don't think that that would be throwing in a random seven foot 14th man on the roster to, you know, do whatever it is that, people seem to think would help with that yeah yeah and, and we'll get a good look at denver on wednesday um <clears throat> the uh last game of this uh of this road trip so i think that's going to be kind of kind of the it, for me that that's kind of the the real test of the season certainly this uh this game in okc was on my board is okay let's how we let's how, let's see how we do against okc um and then obviously tough that they didn't have sga but i kind of feel like it's a wash given how good everyone else played on their team i don't think that they all play like that if sga is healthy um just because there's less shots to go around so i I, you know you could say well they didn't have sj in that game and it's like yeah well if you watch the game and you saw how how they got (laughs) contribution like incredible games out of like six guys and it wasn't just the starters it wasn't just the bench it was like up and down the roster timely buckets playing in the system whether it was chet or giddy or dort um you know it's a very 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 high level game hang your hats to the thunder 
Um, they've got quite a quite a talented young roster that is going to be very, very, very good uh, in, in the near future. But um, I think that game against Denver is, is going to be really interesting to kind of see where the Warriors are at, you know, how how good how good are they? It's going to be kind of the first I don't want to say real test because there, there have been a lot of tests early on in the season, but it's certainly going to help in my mind kind of place them like okay right they're they're tied for first right now with denver five and one do we feel like that that uh win rate is sustainable but you know do we see this as a 50 plus win team in the early going and it's really just health and availability of their guys that are going to hold them back or you know do we think that you know back-to-back game winners from steph and clay and and they've played you know multiple teams missing their stars blah 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 you know, we expect kind of a regression to the mean. I don't know. What's your kind of read early going on the Warriors and, and where you think, you know, your way too early season predictions for where they might end up in the West um, based on, you know, the the first six games and, and the teams we've played and the ways in which they've been able to win? Yeah, I think it's, it's hard to – it's hard to kind of make a lot of the first few games because I know that there was – when they played Phoenix, I mean, incredible game out of – Devin Booker, uh, the Warriors were able to contain or at least keep Kevin Durant down to earth a little bit. Um, that was a tough loss. I think that there was some some late game execution that was just not great. And they also shot, like, I think it was mentioned a couple times over the last few games that Phoenix was, that Phoenix game was like the worst they've ever shot in the last few years. Like that was one of the worst games they've they've played in a long time. And they still lost by only four points. So, I don't know. I think it's it's kind of tough to tell. Um, they did well against New Orleans, who is one of those kind of fringe playoff teams in the West. Uh, and I only say fringe because, you know, the, the conference is so unbelievably deep this year. Uh, I think that, you know, kind of finding ways to win against Sacramento and Oklahoma City, they didn't have their best players, yeah, but they also had incredible contributions kind of up and down the roster. A side note on that, it feels like Lou Dort kills us every time he gets the chance to. So shout out to him. He's uh he had a, another monster game. Um like you said, I mean, I think that this Denver game is really gonna tell us a lot about kind of where this team is and where the Warriors will be at at the end of the season. As of now, I think that they could be competing for you know, that, that three or that four seed. I don't think that there's, I don't think that there's any teams that are definitively better than them. Just what we've, but from what we've been seeing so far besides Denver. um, Yeah. It, it doesn't really seem like there's another Western conference opponent, at least it, I mean, time will tell with the Clippers. I feel like we always say that when it comes to the Clippers and then time tells us that they get injured and lose in the second round. <laughs> but I think that, yeah, I, mean, I think that uh, there's a lot of games that you're going to kind of want to watch out for that will tell us a lot about how the, the season's going to go. I've got uh, December 19th against Boston. That's going to be a big one, I think. Um, playing against a uh, Sacramento healthy once again, and also the, the knock on them barely beating the kings without fox i mean they they beat the kings a couple days right before that um i think this cleveland game that's coming up tomorrow could actually be a really interesting one to uh 
to kind of give us a, a good litmus test of where the Warriors are just because Cleveland is, well, not necessarily all the way healthy. You know, they have some guys that just came back. They're an interesting team. They're dynamic. They kind of present different matchup problems that other teams in the West or teams in the West don't really present for the Warriors in terms of kind of having a Mobley and uh, Jared Allen and then their guards are obviously their guard plays phenomenal between Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell. Um, yeah, I, I could see them just from what we've seen so far. I think that they could get a top three seed in the conference. I think that they could get as high as the two seed if they don't, you know, just slack off on a couple of regular season games, which it doesn't really seem like they're going to considering that we just had a back to back and, there wasn't any indication that anybody would be resting unless they were hurt. So I think that this is kind of the, this is kind of the, the season where the Warriors are really looking to, to get their get back, especially when it was an underperforming season last year, I would say, but yeah, I'm not really, I, I can't say that I'm confidently scared of really any team in the conference right now, except for an outside shot from Phoenix and Denver, who clearly to me looks like clearly the best team in the league. So that's, uh, you know, that's a high bar to clear. Yeah. The Denver game will be telling. I agree. Denver's really the, the clear cut number one. I, I got Warriors number two, though. I think, I think three or four is kind of their floor when we consider how much better they, they could play with their shooting um, with the uh, Wiggins and Chris Paul. And then, you know, short of some extended debilitating injuries, knock on wood, but then also you've got pods and TJD and Corey Joseph. So, I mean, if it, it feels like even losing one of Stafford, Stafford, Chris Paul for some time, and you've got other guys who can step in um, and, and then you can see the, the intentionality and focus with this group about trying to win and, and not just kind of clock in clock out with some of these games. Um, and then, you know, Phoenix getting off to the two and four start, losing to Philly earlier this morning. Um, Clippers integrating James Harden. I don't think they're going to be like a regular season kind of team. I think they're going to kind of be trying to squeeze into the play in or, or in, in the middle tier of, of the playoffs, uh, playoff seating and potentially get it together later in the season. But I mean, that that's quite a quite an ask and, and quite a change to be. Um, trying to figure out, you know, four stars and, and different guys that need their ball in the the ball in their hands, and they traded away a lot of depth. Um, and then the Grizzlies, zero and six. I'm just not seeing a lot out of the West early on. Um, that that really makes me feel like, you know, Warriors would you know potentially drop to three or four when you just see how we seem to have the most continuity and chemistry after the reigning champs and the Denver Nuggets. So I, I feel pretty good about, um, you know, second, maybe 50 wins, possibly more if they keep up this pace. Um, just feels like it's not, you know, it's not any one thing that that's helping the Warriors win. It's, it's contributions up and down the lineup were, you know, 10 deep at least with, like you said, room for two other guys to get into the rotation and we've still got two open roster slots. So who knows you even get, like I said, like I suggested maybe a Danny green type uh, player in there for some emergency depth. And and I think uh, sky's the limit for this team. They, they certainly are coming out hungry 
and uh, with the right mentality, very similar to uh, the 22 season when they last won the championship and they had that 18 and two start. Um, so definitely off to, off to the races and, and winning the games that they need to be winning. And, uh, you know, like we both just said, I think Cleveland is going to pose an interesting challenge tomorrow with uh, Mobley and Allen at the four and the five with some size, like they haven't really seen yet, um, kind of two bigs at the same time. Uh, and then obviously Denver will, will want to see that game as well and how, how they match up against the reigning champs. But a lot to look forward to with this group. There's still so much basketball to be played. It, it feels like, you know, we've, we've, we're already in the playoffs with the intensity level of some of these games, especially um, the last two thrilling wins against the Kings and the Thunder. And um, it, it just feels like a, like a really good time to be a Warriors fan. It's just really fun to watch these games Everyone's contributing, chipping in, saying the right things. The vibes are immaculate. Um, it's just such a such a turnaround from last season, and um, and it's just really great to see these guys bounce back. Um, some interesting shots fired by Steve Kerr, kind of cryptically talking about you know the roster that was assembled and and how good of a job Mike Dunleavy Jr. has done and. And, you know, I know we're kind of hitting time here a little bit, but just some food for thought for the future as you think about some of the uh, the undertones of, of what might have been going on in the back office stuff with Bob Myers and Joe Lacob wanting to have all these young players and develop all these all these different guys with this with this upside, whether it was Wiseman or Ryan Rawlings or Patrick Baldwin Jr., um, Jordan Poole, et cetera. And Steve Kerr being like, give me a team that can win. Give me guys that that have fundamentals. Give me guys that that can run a system. And um, obviously there was some misalignment on, um, you know, what the what what type of players the coach wanted and uh, what type of team was being built and, and provided to the coach. Um, and it helps explain a little bit some of the disconnect. And you look at last season, all the minutes that Anthony Lamb got when a lot of people felt like that should have been Moses Moody. Um, it, it's just uh, it's just interesting. So obviously, I don't think there's a whole lot of benefit in kind of focusing on the past and what happened. But it, it is kind of interesting to see now that we've made these changes and you've got Dunleavy Jr. in here and you see how this incredible turnaround that the team has made from last year compared to this in the early going of the season, you can't help but wonder uh, and, and kind of look to some of these, uh, some of these things that I, I just kind of find interesting because it's not really necessarily talked about um, because people don't really know, right? These are obviously things that are going on behind the scenes, front office stuff that uh, we're not really privy to. Yeah, definitely. Um I caught a little bit of those. That was a definitely, um, definitely a lot to think about in terms of uh, kind of how how different last season was from this one. And I think that a lot of it has. I th I think that I mean, obviously there there were two very different visions um, that were kind of taking place. A lot of it to me seemed to just be. I think that you can kind of attribute it to the fact that did anybody really think that Steph Curry would be doing what he's doing and having you know, a start to a season that's probably going to be MVP caliber by the time we wrap it up at 35. I mean, I just think that after that 19 to 20 season where, you know, you're in the post Kevin Durant era, you know, your guys are injured now, you know, you had 
Steph Curry, Clay Thompson missed two whole seasons. Steph Curry missed basically the entirety of that season. Draymond Green was missing significant amounts of time. Um, you know, a lot of the guys in terms of the uh, the court championship teams, Andre Iguodala, Sean Livingston, all those guys were starting to look a little bit older. So I think that you, when you kind of look at it through a lens of this made sense a few years ago and the front office just kind of stuck with it without adjusting, um, I think that that's a – it's definitely a lot to to kind of think about in terms of disconnect there. And then, you know, when Dunleavy Jr. comes in, the team kind of turns it back around. But I think a lot of that can be attributed to the fact that I'm just not sure everybody really thought that Steph Curry would be able to sustain his level of greatness for as long as he has, because, you know, he gets, he gets beat up in a lot of those games. You know, he's taking a lot of contact when he's moving off the ball. He gets a lot of you know, contact on his shots that should probably be fouls and they just aren't called on, called on him. Um, side note, great to, great to see um, that Steph got some, got some leeway with, uh, with the superstar calls for once. I think it was against Houston. Um, might've been against uh, Sacramento in the last game as well, but I was just thinking a couple of plays just come to mind when it comes to that, but yeah, I mean, there are the level of conditioning that he's at, the level of play that he's still sus- sustaining. Um, it's hard to say that anybody ever doubted Steph Curry, but for him to to be one of the you know top three best player in the world, I don't think that the front office. I thought that the front office was kind of preparing for the end there, but it seems like the end may be nowhere in sight. So it's good to see that they kind of took that lesson from the last two seasons with what he's kind of put together and uh, have really changed course to, to mirror the timeline because while the window is closing, it seems like the, there's still plenty of time before it does fully close. Yeah. Especially when you've got CP CP three to take some of the load of, of the, you know, ball handler point guard organize, organize, organizing on the floor type duties off of Steph Curry's plate you can see just how much more fresh he is to take over when he needs to. Um, and, and just, you know, Curry talked about this, that, and or it was GP2 that said, um, you know, CP3 just takes so much, so much off of Curry's plate. And, and Curry said he just feels so much more relaxed and at ease when he's on the bench, because we're not giving up leads. We're not just, you know, opposing teams aren't going on a 10 0 run when he's on the bench. So he can just rest easy. Chris, you know, Chris Paul's here. Um, and you just feel like if, if this team has success and they decide to to resign Chris Paul on a on a team friendly deal and kind of extend extend this uh, this kind of pairing that you, you just feel like there's no reason why Curry can't keep this going for a few more years. I, I mean, it's just it's just absurd to think about, like you said a few years ago, that that you that we'd still be seeing this. But now that we're seeing this on the floor, um, it's just incredible. And and it speaks to the level of, of effort and dedication that Curry puts in in the offseason. He said he basically only took one week off this past summer, and he basically knew that he needed to be in midseason form at the start of the season because he's older. Um, you know, he can't he can't take as much time off or expect his body to maintain the conditioning um, for as long if he takes breaks and and clearly. Clearly, we see the the benefits of that. I mean, he's in he's in mid mid season form already, five games in, uh, which is a stark difference from a lot of other guys across uh, across the NBA. Yeah, I mean it's it's hard to 
it's hard to look at a, a player who's averaging, you know, 55, 46, 94 splits from the field and averaging 30 points per game and not say that this guy is the best player in the NBA, short of maybe Nikola Jokic. Um, yeah, I mean, having Chris Paul around just takes so much off of off of Steph's plate, kind of like, you know, all those comments with what GP2 is saying. I think that having a, a rested Steph Curry is going to be, uh, you know, I think that we could be looking at another MVP caliber season. If I'm going to make any bold predictions for this year, I think that um, that's my 50, 40, 90, 30 points per game, MVP three on deck. All right. Locking you in, and mine's a Warriors clinching second in the conference. I like without, it. Without much drama. All right, James. Well, we got an exciting game um, against Cleveland tomorrow, and then uh, front it, it's going to be the first of a back-to-back, and then I think the one that we're all really looking for is that Wednesday matchup um, in Denver. So uh, a lot more games to come. Uh Always great to have you on the show. So much to talk about and will continue to be as the season goes on because there's just so much success going on for the Warriors. I mean, we didn't even hit on Dario Sarch and everything he's been doing. So uh, we'll have to uh, circle back to that uh, next time. But uh, what a great time to be a Warriors fan, man. Yes, absolutely. And once again, this has been a We Believe Golden State Warriors basketball podcast, a sports ethos presentation. If you haven't already, please give me a follow over at Twitter. That's at SD Orlick. Subscribe, rate, and review the show. Thanks for tuning in, guys, and we'll catch you on the next one.